This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and I'm joined by only one man this week. But for the first time since... I don't know. <laughs> I'm joined by another man in person to record a podcast. And that man is the one and only Sean McGuigan. Hello there. Hello. When was the last time I recorded a podcast in real life with yourself? I, I was wondering if it was... The last one I remember, well, the last one that popped into my head was when you, me and Andy Harrow discussed the best Wraith Rovers team of all time and the worst Wraith Rovers team of all time at your work. But the, the, there could very well have been several dozen after that. It was just the first one that popped in my head. I remember the first one, I remember the first podcast I recorded online. It was with Craig Telfer and uh, it was a Patreon and you had to give it away for free because my sound quality was so bad. <laughs> and my sound quality was so bad. But I don't remember the last one I recorded in real life. I don't oh, I do remember that. Oh, you were raging. You were raging. And then you then you bought me a microphone. Yeah. But what you don't know is actually, uh, actually my sound quality was, was that bad on purpose, just so that you'd, you would buy me a, a microphone. All oh, right. No, well. of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. I bought the microphones for everybody. I know, and that was totally, that was totally yeah. cool, thank you. But, uh, that's maybe what started it. I was like, oh, we're carrying off this. Uh, I think I pretty much was, you were raging. So you never, so, so for anybody who's uh, obviously listening doesn't know, we are uh, using the, the studio quality equipment that is uh, located at Tony's house. Tony's not here, it's just the two of us. Uh, but you've not, have you not seen this before? Nah, it's all, uh, it's all bright lights. And, right, okay. Uh, so yeah, it intimidates might, me. It might have been, or there might have been that Wraith Rovers podcast, because we did do, we've done a couple on these, uh, about two or three maybe, maybe even more than that. Before the pandemic started, because there was this is the exact setup that was at the Scotsman offices. Oh, really? Uh, which I so so I've not set foot in the offices since the pandemic started. Have you never been back at work? No, at all? I think I was invited once. 
It's like, no, I'm all right. I'm, uh, I'm back in two days a week. I uh, wouldn't mind doing what it's just now that I moved to Longstone, it's just kind of a bit of an awkward kind of getting there. It's you have to go into town and then kind of, I mean, I mean, it's not far out of town, but it's just like going in and then slightly back out again. So I was just like, instead of spending 40 odd minutes a day at least, because uh, the traffic through Gorgie is usually a nightmare at any rush time. So aye, maybe up to an hour traveling, I just stay in the house. I, uh, I don't mind being in the building, but I prefer it if they move the building right next door to my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the commute is the commute's now worse because there's I know I just realised I was com- complaining about commuting you come in for <laughs> Kirkcaldy well there's, there's, there's fewer trains now so because there's fewer trains I have to stop at more stops oh, right. so like the train used to take about 35 minutes but now it takes takes about an hour so it's kind of like a 12 hour day now so it, that's, that's that's no great so right, it's been a while been a while since we've been in person so I've not done one so I think we've only I think we've only recorded well we've recorded two podcast episodes since the pandemic started one was the end of season awards last year oh yes and the other was a, a episode of the Scottish Rewatchables for review for the terrace, which hasn't been released yet. Now there is uh, what did I record for the Scottish Rewatchables? I think I, I, I think oh, I, I went up yesterday. I was about eighteen months ago. <laughs> eighteen months ago, I was still living in Pilton. Ah, that was forever ago. <laughs> right, that was released yesterday. I can't remember then. What was the film? <laughs> Acid House. Oh, rubbish! <laughs> Just a rubbish film. I had to watch it all over again. Well, if you'd like to hear more about Sean's thoughts on Acid House, <laughs> head over to Review for the Terrace. That's, that's it summarised. That's it summarised in one word. I did expand. I did expand. I did give a fuller uh, explanation as to why I thought it was rubbish. But uh, not my favourite. Speaking of rubbish. Yes. Dunfermline Athletic. Dunfermline Athletic. There's a, there's a massive uh, Wraith Rovers 2015-2016 vibe. <laughs> I mean, they're filming athletic at this moment in time. That is Who are they going to... Is it Dom Thomas they're going to send out on loan to... <laughs> to relegate them. Right. To officially relegate them. <laughs> to... I'm trying to... We also struggle. Uh, Queen of the South. Uh, hopefully. See... see it, but there is... I suppose there is... Uh, there's massive comparisons in that. Uh, it, it's proof that sometimes when... The, the fact that supporters are... Occasionally treated pretty poorly by by kind of boards when it comes to statements and kind of looking down at them and, and turning their nose up at them. Sometimes when it comes to important decisions, uh, supporters are, are absolutely spot on. And I don't think there was any Dunfermline fans that thought Peter Grant was was a good appointment. I certainly didn't think it, it was a good appointment. Uh, the, the, I, I know he spoke about his CV. There wasn't anything on his CV that suggested he was going to be a success at Dunfermline. He was pretty poor at Norwich. He won. I think it was four games at Alloa. And I know there was this suggestion that, well, yes, they got relegated and uh, got annihilated every week. <laughs> but they played football in the right manner. But, uh, uh, yes, they were a part-time team, but if you want to... I mean, I mean there's a direct comparison in the Championship to, to, when it comes to a part-time team, and it's Arbroath. And they were miles behind them. Miles behind them last it, season. Is there not a certain... Is there not a certain cachet to come with, though, with keeping... Because they did keep Alloa up for one season. And Alloa are traditionally a kind of... Well, if not yo-yo, when yo-yo in kind of recent years, but more kind of traditionally a kind of sub-tier team. So, is there maybe was there maybe something in that? Uh, I I know it was enough to make the Fremont fans happy about the appointment, but I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. If you're going to, if you, I maybe I, okay, let's give him some credit. The, the fact that he was he, he had early success, I suppose, with Aloha, but the, there was nothing in terms of his Aloha tenure that, that suggested he was going to be a, a, a big success uh, at Dunfermline. And there was talked a good game though. Did he talk a good game? I don't know. I, I think he thought he talked a good game. I thought he, like the board thought he talked a good game. Well, I, I suppose he must have done if he if, if he got the job. But there, there was a. I always felt there was a weird vibe uh, coming from Peter Grant, and I know, I, I know you maybe shouldn't take out of context 
quotes as uh, as gospel, I suppose. But like, even when he was at Alawan, the, the stuff he's saying about Whitey was at Atalanta, Barcelona, and, and defending like Atletico Madrid, and there was times where he would be interviewed, or you would see quotes, I should I should say, uh, either before a Dunfermline game or after a Dunfermline game, and, and his quotes didn't seem as if they were grounded in reality. It was like he was, it, it was like, if, if you genuinely believe that, uh, then I, I'm not entirely sure what you're seeing, or are you just trying to persuade others that, that that's what's going on? Because when he, I, I, there was an interesting one when they played Rangers in the League Cup, I think it was. And I can't remember what the full, full time score was. Was it five 0 or six 0 And I think it was four 0 quite early, early doors in the, in the first half. And he was asked about it after the game, and he said, "Well, we could have had a we could have had a couple of goals of our own." And it was like, "No, you couldn't. <laughs> you were barely at your half." So, like, what are you seeing that, that would that would make you believe that that, that what you're saying is is right? So he always gave off, gave off a slightly a slightly weird vibe. And you know it doesn't really matter if you're giving off weird vibes. What matters is. That's what's happening on the park. Aye, Tom Courts gives us weird vibes and his team are flying. Exactly. But nothing he was doing made any sense. And in, in terms of in terms of constructing a squad, he had about six or seven centre-halves. And even now, so Paul Watson's left. You're kind of looking at who he's got a centre-half. I, I, I don't know if he has a decent one. So, so the fact that you've like accumulated almost all the centre-halves in Scotland, but somehow don't have a decent one, is, is very odd. He, I, I, I think... Uh, I think Josh Edwards probably is having a poor season at, at left back. I think I think he he put together a a collection of central midfielders that that are struggling. I think his best one was Ian Wilson, who, to be fair, maybe had a, a run of bad luck with the fact that Wilson is always uh, is always injured. He has wide players who occasionally flatter to flatter to deceive. Uh, Kai Kennedy, Kai Kennedy has a good reputation without necessarily. Doing it week in week out, I, I think maybe Inverness was his was his best loan spell at Wraith Rovers. He maybe had uh, a, a collection of games where he performed very well, but in general, in general, he, he didn't do enough. And I, 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 for Rangers fans who might think he's you know going to be Davy Cooper for them one day, seems very unlikely. Doesn't well, it? well, well, where has he went out on loan so far? So he's been out on loan at, at Inverness, at Dunfermline, at Wraith Rovers. Has he been anywhere else on loan? Um, I mean, up for you, don't I mean, they're continually sending him out on loan to to, to championship teams. I, I think if I think if Rangers thought he was he was going to be a a, a big thing, you think he'd maybe send him out on loan to a, a Premiership team? Admittedly, he's still young. Don't get me wrong. He, it is just those three loans, by the way. Don't get me wrong. He, he's still young, so perhaps he could become a player. I haven't seen much to, that that suggests he, he will be. And then up front, they have three strikers who. And Whiten and Todorov and Kevin O'Hara. Like O'Hara's had one good season where he scored goals. The other two, I, I don't know if they've ever got above nine in, in terms of. I don't know if they've got above single figures in terms of scoring goals in a season. And I, the funny thing is, we so Peter Grant has has put this squad together, and, and there was a theory, and I, and I kind of bought into it very much so that Dunfermline had a a decent squad that I, that a good manager could be getting a, a, a tune out of. Peter Grant's now left. Uh, Greg Shields and, and Stephen Whitaker were in charge on, on Saturday and although maybe like for the first 45 minutes they were, they were okay against Morton they looked a wee bit brighter second half they were terrible and I think that potentially puts to bed the theory that Duffyman 
might, might actually have a decent squad. I, I think they actually have a poor squad. I, I was looking at the players that left. Look, it, it is funny though because you said that coming into the season. Craig Anderson said that as well. He was quite nervous about them, Fairman, when he saw kind of the signings that were making, and it was it was kind of bigged up even with because I think I mean a lot of people were unsure about Peter Grant. But it was still kind of thought, well, that squad's quite good. And even if he does a, a passable job, that'll be a team fighting for promotion. Might be enough to pip Kelly to the title. There's 13 games gone. Do you wonder how many points there are between Dunfermline and Kilmarnock? Uh, I, ha- I haven't double-checked, but it'll be a lot. 19. In fairness, in fairness, remember the season that St Murren uh, escaped relegation? Yes. So I think... Th- I think going into December, I think they were 18 points behind Rafe Rovers, but they still finished above them. If so, Dunfermline finish above Kamara this season, they're still not winning the title. <laughs> Kamara might be finishing about sixth. I, I think what's interesting is uh, you look at the players that have left, and not all the players, but I looked at the kind of ins and outs, and in the summer I was like, right, well, that, that might not be a huge loss. They, they, they might be okay there. But now I'm thinking, Dettling McManus, would, would walk into that team and Dettler Manis is a kind of passable mm-hmm. championship forward but he, he would walk into this team uh, Ewan Murray I think is a, a decent championship centre half we've got a game for Dunfermline week in week out uh, Paul Watson I appreciate left uh, under a cloud seemingly falling out with, with, with Peter Grant maybe he should have made more uh, maybe he should have tried to stay friends with Paul Watson <laughs> so that he could have played weekend week out don't get me wrong actually the, the games that Paul Watson played this season he, he looked like he'd he looked like he kind of, his standards have kind of dropped I suppose but to be fair if he's if he isn't if, if there isn't a relationship there with the manager then, then maybe that was partly to do with it and Kyle Turner mm-hmm. now I, I appreciate that Kyle Turner seemingly fell out with, with Stevie Crawford yeah but again he feels like a big loss and yep he's, he's not playing every week with Patrick Thistle and Patrick seems to be playing him uh, kind of out wide I, I don't think that's his best position but again there's four players and they, they probably haven't recruited anybody that's up to the standard of those four and it, maybe it's just now that we're that we're realising it and to the weekend as well I mean I know it's I know that a lot might not change and you could say that like if, if you want to preach any sort of Kind of patience for the film and for patience, maybe is the right word. Maybe just some reassurance for them uh, that, that, that they might not be in this. That it might, it might not already be a case of like this squad is so kind of badly kind of rearranged that this is almost a lost cause, and they are going to be the next kind of wraith rovers and just like being promotion contenders that just surprisingly kind of drop out like a stone out of the division. But there was still a lot of the the kind of problems that have been there all season on Saturday. There was terrible defending. There was chances missed that should have been taken. And there were some weird managerial decisions. Now, if they bring somebody else in, because um, the managerial decision I'm talking about uh, was taken off Dom Thomas when he was looking fairly threatening and they were still kind of you know trying to, to win the match at that point. But and that might that might go away, but it's just the it's just the kind of it's just such a it's already such a crucial appointment and it feels like it shouldn't be a crucial appointment. Like it feels like coming into this campaign, they should have had enough. As we've talked about, they should have had enough good players to be up the the better end of the table, even if they're not quite as good as maybe we thought they were. But you're already kind of looking at it saying, is, is there too many weaknesses and is the squad too mismanaged? Is there too is morale too down now that if they do get the appointment wrong, who says that this next guy is going to be any better than Peter Grant? It's just kind of one of those things that snowballs, like it did at Rayovers. If they get the appointment wrong, then they'll go down. Like even if they get somebody who's incrementally better than Peter Grant, I, I think they'll go down. I, I think if they bring in somebody who uh, can kind of galvanise them and can, no, I, I don't think you need to, to 
remember when Jack Ross came in at St Murnay, totally overhauled the squad in the January transfer window. There was like a huge turnover. They might not be able to do that, and they might not necessarily have to do that. But if they can bring in, I think a goalkeeper is vital uh, because I don't think that uh, Denise Mehmet or Owen von Williams are. I mean, the fact that you have Owen von Williams as your number one, and then you go out and sign a goalkeeper in the summer who isn't as good as Owen von Williams, that, that doesn't say much about your, your kind of goalkeeping recruitment. I think if, if they can bring in a goalkeeper, I think that would help. Uh, I think it would help immensely. They need a centre half. They need, and in fact, you know something. You're talking about the the strange decision, one the the, the the strange decision that they made at the weekend in terms of substituting Dom Thomas, and it kind of Sunday Monday. I thought I thought that was a strange decision. It was only when I read an interview, uh, was it with Stephen Whitaker? Regardless, it was with one of them. And they were asked about the fact that Ian Wilson wasn't in the squad. Ian Wilson's our best central midfielder. So they asked the question, I think Ian Wilson is still injured. He went, no, he's fit. It's like, well, if, <laughs> if Ian Wilson's fit, how's he not getting in your squad at all? So, so I suppose that is also a very strange decision. Maybe there's something, maybe there's something going on that, that we're not aware of. But it's... But even if there is something going on that we're not aware of, that's also troubling in itself, isn't it? Of course it is. And, and even the fact that you've got like Paul Watson, who's like, right, I'm away. Like that is troubling. <laughs> it's, 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 not just, it's not just on the park that there are issues. There's obviously, there's obviously something is afoot uh, behind the scenes uh, as well. That what I would say is they are not that far away from the teams above them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morton aren't very good. And Queen of South aren't very good. And Hamilton aren't very good. It's by a three-game unbeaten run, Akis. Riding. Ah, uh, well, that's good for them, I suppose. <laughs> They're not very good, so... It's entirely, like, this league is just cut in half, really. Uh, it's five and five. Aye, which, like, is, which, which, again, is also to, to Dunfermline's advantage. There's obviously five Drek teams in there. Uh, so they don't have to get that much better to catch up everybody else. However, I think it was Craig Anderson that put something on Pine Bovril during the week. There's not that many teams that start a season <laughs> without any wins in 13 games that manage to stay up. Yeah. So they they need to make an they need to make, they need to make the right appointment and they need to make it very soon because they play Inverness this week and you think to yourself like they, they barely beat Inverness ever even when they're filming are quite good they never beat Inverness so when they're absolutely crap you would imagine they are not going to beat Inverness. And is that right man for the job, John Hughes? <laughs> I don't yes, I don't know. I guess he might be because he did not he went into Ross County last season in a similar kind of position to what Wraith Rover's job was and he he done well at that job. Like I uh, like there were four points adrift when he took over and then the I mean the I mean they weren't that comfortable in staying up, but even going into the final day they couldn't have finished rock bomb. They still well they would have went in the playoffs and probably would have done a lot better job at it than Kelly did. My uh, my my hash was settled. Uh, when John Hughes kept Ross County up because I thought right he is going to be absolute, an absolute disaster and I know I know he had success before he came to Wraith Rovers and I know I am not his biggest fan let's put it that way and I well, I don't really have or I, I didn't really have anything against Ross County until they appointed uh, John Hughes and Malky McKay <laughs> now I really don't like him but I, I really hope they got relegated but I, I, I thought he'd done a he eventually done a very good job. I mean, I, I think did they did they win their last three or four games of the season? Like I think when it got to the, I think when it got to the split, like Ross County done particularly well, uh, and so fair play to him. So, so I wrote him off as a manager when he, when he was at Rovers because he took a he took a squad assembled by Gary Locke and actually made them worse. I was like, my goodness, you're pish, and maybe 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 he's actually maybe he still has it. 
but but again, it, it kind of feels like there's a reason that jobs kind of pass him by. Yeah, ah, yeah. I think a lot of I don't think he's quite seen this kind of the progressive manager that he once was because he was kind of looked upon that, especially his early Falkirk years. And I remember I can't remember what it was now, but there was a manager talking about Hughes when he was kind of out of work when he still kind of had that reputation. And how he could like just compiles these, you know, dossiers on, on even when he's out of work on, you know, how he thinks football should be played and players that fit and stuff like that and the real kind of servant to the game and stuff. So there was a time where John Hughes was kind of looked upon as that. Now he's kind of and it's probably to do with kind of attaching himself to kind of the old kind of traditional media, uh, the kind of radio stuff that he does, where it's kind of like when he when you're sharing conversations with guys like Willie Miller and stuff like I mean no offence to Willie Miller but nobody's going to hire him for a job as a manager in 2021 and I wonder whether that's got against him as well and obviously the Wraith Rovers job as well was kind of but you still think I, I don't it, think, it I, certainly ruined his reputation for a while I don't know if a Wraith Rovers job would be that relevant now if, if you're a yeah it's having, you, it's having kept Ross County up coming, having kept Ross County up then surely that is now the most relevant thing on his certainly the most recent and the most relevant thing on his, on his CV so if I was a struggling club Allah Dunfermline Athletic, then I would I would be tempted to take him on. I, I, there you go, there you go, pops. <laughs> I, I don't know if he would be my first choice, but I could see I could see why they would be attracted to him. I mean, like Stuart Petrie is obviously the number one, but I think he's a good job in a bank. He is is a, a, a kind of decent part time position at, at, at Montrose, and he, I think he's in his fifties now. You, you think so? Well, if he wanted to go full time, he'd. He maybe would have done it by now because let's face it, I would be amazed if full time clubs haven't approached him before now. But then he is uh, a Dunfermline legend, so if anybody was going to attract him to a full time position, then maybe Dunfermline would be it. But I appreciate it as a good job that he would outside of football that he would have to give up for that. Just pay him loads. Just pay him loads. Just pay him loads, Dunfermline, and and hopefully still get relegated. <laughs> Five year deal. Pay him loads. <laughs> Turns out he's actually worse. Only suited to part-time football. Fingers crossed. And then Peter Grant takes a Montrose job and they're in the Premier League in three years' time. Uh, I don't think that will No. Right, so let's move on to the next team we're going to talk about, uh, which is Airdrieorians, the current leaders. Only one position behind Dunfermline in the current league structure. They are top of Cinch League One, having reeled off a sequence of four victories in the last five games. It's all right, Sean, do to make a face. You can just pour your wine. It's six wins and eight. Take that. How do we look at it? Is it six wins and eight? Four wins and five, six wins and eight. That's, that's, that's doubly impressive. It has to be said. Uh, I, now, when you said that you wanted to talk about Airdrie, let me just clarify here. Uh, did, did this mean that, that you are confident enough to talk about Airdrie, the Diamonds, or did you mean that you wanted... See, when you said you wanted to talk about Airdrie, was it you wanted me to talk about Airdrie? <laughs> no, I have some things to say. Now we're talking. Because, what, for, what, two, for two reasons. What do you think of Airdrie's form? I think it's very strong, Sean. <laughs> How can you argue? <laughs> Six wins and eight. For two reasons. One, uh, Emma. Uh, sorry, Emma, I don't know your surname. Uh, Emma, Emma Q1983 on Twitter, the Airdrieonians fan. Oh, yes. Very knowledgeable. Uh-huh. So I asked her earlier today for some to, to help me out with some research. But also I wanted to talk about Airdrie because I spoke to Ian Murray yesterday. Now, I mainly spoke to him to talk about Scotland Hibs. Uh, well, Scotland and Hibs. I, I, I saw you making a smart arse tweet, uh, a smart, a smart arse tweet about this. Uh, what was the... So, so never mind the interview. I, I, I couldn't care less. But what was the beef 
What was the beef that you had after a... What was, a, what was it again? It was after Hearts got put by Liverpool and Ian Murray tweeted basically like, ha-ha, Hearts got beat off of Liverpool. It was like... And then, but like, well, like a couple of minutes for taking Liverpool extra time and beating them at Anfield. What are you talking about? And then there was just like a back and forth that went on that night where both called each other idiots. So how did it go? How did it go? Oh, I can't remember. It was in 2012. You can't remember a Twitter beef with Ian Murray? Well, I remember the beef. Well, how, mu- how much I, beef do you get? Well, I don't how much beef with reasonably famous people do you get involved with? I can't remember, you can't remember the, Ian, the one with Ian Murray. I can't remember all the exact tweets. That was the nature of it. He was slagging off hearts for getting put in Europe by Liverpool. And I was like, well... A, like, I mean, this is a tremendous effort for Hearts to go to Anfield and yes. nearly beat them at Anfield. I agree, I agree. And B, who the fuck are Hibs playing in Europe this season? Ned. So, shut up. <laughs> and then he just kind of went back and forth to the, like that for a while. This is before I was in journalism, so I was just working at a bar at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I lack a filter on Twitter anyway, but uh, back then I certainly didn't I've, have one. I've never noticed. <laughs> He should have kept his powder dry until you uh, got knocked out of the Scottish Cup by Broder. <laughs> exactly. Then, then you couldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have said anything yeah. back to him. <laughs> I'd like he's on Twitter these days. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I spoke to him and it was just quite, kind of, he was, without really, he didn't really go into many details about like the current form. That's kind of why I had, I had to ask him and find out the kind of interest, and find out a bit more about the team. I'd, I'd heard a wee bit and stuff, but uh, obviously I need to learn a bit more because League One isn't really my forte. But, it was just interesting to kind of listen to Murray, who's been in the job, I think, three years now. Mm-hmm. And kind of, I think each year they've improved. I think they finished six and then six and third and six and second. And now, obviously, they're the top of the table and they've got aspirations of obviously getting back to the championship and trying to, and they've got aspirations as well, of what he was saying, of trying to, to grow the club back up. Like, not necessarily be what it was before, but they've still got the hybrid model uh, Ian Murray is still a full-time manager himself, even though he's only a part-time <coughs> club. He's still working every day with players because they do have some full-time players. They only work with the full squad, you know, twice a week or, or three times, whatever it is. But the, there are plans there for Airdrie to to try and get back some of their old name. Because for somebody like me, like I hated Airdrie when I was younger. Because they were annoying to play against. And they used to always beat hearts as well, which was... The, and also side of it, but, but even when you were beating them, you had this reputation as being these nasty wee fuckers. And now I don't have, I've not had an opinion on Airdrie for years. I think ever since I became Airdrie United, I've not had an opinion on Airdrie really, other than I think just about with the exception of maybe one or two years, and and or that maybe a wee bit more than that in the second tier. But ever since I've really done this show, they've mainly, I think I'm right in saying, mainly been a third tier club, and they're trying to get the kind of attendances up because obviously. It's not sustainable for being a full-time team. I think that's their long-term ambition, to get back to full-time. But to do that, you know, you probably need a, what, another average of 400 fans through the gate every I, second week. I can never work out what the situation is with Airdrie, because are they a full-time team? They're a hybrid. I think right. they're mainly part-time now. Because I, I sometimes get mixed up in terms of whether they've went kind of full, full-time However, a lot of the players are like young players that they aren't necessarily having to, having to pay that much. Because I knew they were hybrid. Then I had it in my head that they were they were fully full time, but the majority of the players were, were young players. So, so they're still hybrid. Because I, I, I did see, I did see a, what was it? I read when Falkirk beat them. Was it the beginning of the, yeah? So Falkirk beat them this season, and Falkirk fans were saying that this was the first time that they'd beaten a full time team since they come back down to League One. And I must admit, at that point, I wasn't entirely sure that that was correct, but they seemed to think that Airdrie were full-time. But 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 what you've said just made, yeah. makes total sense. They're definitely a hybrid. 
if if they're not, Ian Murray literally lied to me <laughs> yesterday. Well, you know, so you had that follow on Twitter, so I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to like make an interview like a load of rubbish. It was great. It was good. It was good value. Um, I even asked him at the end, uh, like I asked a kind of uh, question. He quite enjoyed it. I asked him like over under because he got six caps for Scotland. So I asked him over under uh, Josh Doig. Is he getting more caps or not? And he played along with it. Like usually, kind of like especially managers like still in work. It's easy to kind of bat that thing away. But he's like, oh, good question. Because <laughs> like, he's like, well, only he only got six caps. But then he's like, well, they've got Tierney Robertson ahead of them. And also possibly Greg Taylor and Nan Hickey. So anyway, we're getting completely off topic. Airdrie. Uh, well, see, before we, we totally get into Airdrie, did you go over or under the number that you got shaved into your side of the side of your head inexplicably? <laughs> He did do that, didn't he? Aye, for uh, Edward Darby, he got 19, I think it was 1973, shaved in his head, which was the year of Hibs beating Hearts 7-0. Do you know I thought he got the 7. Uh, so, so definitely 1973 is definitely above 6. I thought it was 1973 he got. No, maybe, no, you're, you're probably right. I might be misremembering, but anyway, yeah, and, and also some days... Did they lose that game? Of course they lost that game, they always lose no, that game. No, they drew for each, that was a great weird oh, game. Oh, that four, four but, game. But uh, the theory, the theory, the popular theory, I'm not entirely sure whether this is accurate or not, but I like it because it's funnier, is that somebody, the Hearts fan threw a vodka bottle at him during the game. <laughs> and so my theory is that they were that annoyed by, and, no, this is not just my theory, the theory amongst Hearts fans, is that they were that annoyed by him having that in the back of his that somebody threw a vodka bottle, which got the match paused for a couple of minutes, which meant there was so much injury time, the Hearts were able to concede two goals uh, after the 89th minute and still come back to draw. So him getting that haircut, Prevented a 4-2 victory. Exactly. You should have mentioned that in your interview. <laughs> or during your Twitter beef. You should have mentioned it. I'll tweet him now. Oh, he's not there. He's not there anymore. Right, so Airdrie's... So there's a kind of feeling amongst fans as well that this is the, the first time that... This is the first proper time. Even though he's been there for three years, this is the prof, first proper time this summer that Murray's had the kind of opportunity to, to really sculpt the, the team in his own image. Because mm-hmm. while he's been there a while, kind of came in halfway through a season... He's also, there was also kind of COVID things, but coupled with that, which obviously put a strain on finances, but also as well, the club had this, kind of went on this policy of trying to pick out players from France and stuff, which obviously was kind of stuff, I mean, I'm sure that Ian Murray was kind of glad to have on their team because they weren't bad players, but I think the the feeling was these signings were kind of, right, you're signing these guys, or, or yeah, fit them somewhere in your team, or, or these are the players we're wanting to bring in pick two of these kind of thing I think that was the feeling at the club before and now this summer he's been backed a bit more he brought in Scott Agnew as a, as a player assistant there seems to be more of a feeling that there's not as many kind of middlemen at the club as well to answer to and he's just kind of able to focus a bit more on the team and the team he's put together this campaign has been pretty good they got off to a slow start but that was due to a combination of injuries and then at the end of August I think it was had a, a Covid issue which and when I, when I spoke to uh, Murray on I asked him about Hibs' COVID issues and obviously the two kind of, you know, paralleled up together. And he was kind of quite, he was quite quick to stress the kind of what fans don't see in terms of players coming back from it kind of thing. Like, say they're fit to play, they're cleared to play, they can go out, but he says you don't, you don't know the kind of long-term effects and you, it's hard to tell how much they're still kind of struggling and how much they're feeling it kind of thing. So it took a while for Adrian to get started this season. But they're really motoring along now. Um, and, and also been included in one of the most mental games of the season as well, with a 3-2-1 over the party. It was amazing. <laughs> Incredible <laughs> game of football. <laughs> but the, the, the team's kind of built around, Dylan Easton has been brought in this summer as the kind of number 10, uh, the kind of 
maybe, aye, maybe it's fair to say they kind of attack and fulcrum. A lot of the play goes through him. We're, I think a lot of us on the show, even most of the listeners, even if you're not kind of familiar with the lower leagues, you, you would have heard us talking about Dylan Easton before the ability he has on the football. He's been at Kelty Hearts the last like, previous two seasons, so he's yep. basically out of the SPFL for two years. He's back now, strutting his stuff. They've also made a couple of other decent signings. Uh, Scott Agnew mentioned he's kind of. He's no longer Scott Agnew, what we kind of remember, whereas no. for years I thought Scott Agnew was a forward, because I'd always see his name come up on Gillette Soccer Saturday, only, I think it was only about three or four years ago I realised he was a midfielder. I think he's got, I think he, he, I, I don't know, let's say he has 47 career goals, I'm fairly certain 34 of them have been against Wraith Rovers, <laughs> all, all 30 yard free kicks, absolutely infuriating. <laughs> but he's, uh, I mean Agnew is, Agnew has been a, a kind of lower league uh, phenomenon, and I, I, I did think last year at East Fife, that maybe time was was starting to catch up with him, and he couldn't do what he what he always did do. He's winning Airdrie. He's probably now playing a deeper role, uh, and he's ah, he's, he's getting by. He's not the Scott Agnew that, that that we know and love, but he's still doing a role. Now it's also helped as well. They've got some young legs alongside them in the form of Celtic Loney Kerr McEnroy, yep. who has been very impressive recently, yep. including at the weekend yep. when he was a star man, and as a result. And a place in the SPFL team of the week. Get away. Honestly, see, see whoever picks that SPFL team of the week. They really know their stuff. <laughs> they certainly do. They really know their stuff. <laughs> who did you who did you ask? <laughs> who did you? I did you just go to Pine Bubble. I went to Pine Bubble, ah, obviously. Of course, you did. of course you did. That takes bloody hours, by the way. No, I know I've done it. <laughs> it's a pain in the arse. <laughs> Especially with the just more about refereeing decisions on the wind or something. It's like, shut up, <laughs> tell me who played well. It's when they, it's when they just describe players with a nickname. Oh I uh, it took me a long time to ah. figure out who Big uh, was it Big Sandy or something. Uh, was who it, was, was that? Was it was Big that? Sally or something like that? Oh, God, I can't remember. Templeman, aye, Chris Templeman, Big aye. Sandy. What? Aye, just just I'm going to use his real name. I'm trying to figure out the SPFL team of the week. It's <laughs> coming in the chat to ask you guys who's this boy. Give me facts. <laughs> They've also had as well Reese McCabe, who I would never think would be a centre half. But he was forced to play there in the game against Peterhead when they had, that was when they had their, their real COVID problems, and that was, I think that was Telford's banker for it wasn't on the show, but it was in, the, in our chat. Like you said to Tory, because Tory always asks every week, like what, what bets should I put on for the lower leagues? What, what are the tasty? I don't know why he ever bothers because the lower leagues are always a fucking crapshoot. Like there's, there's there's always mental results in the Scottish lower leagues, especially the kind of further down you go. But aye, he asked, and then that was like, I know, definitely Peterhead. Airdrie have barely got a squad. They only travelled up. I think they only travelled up with thirteen players, and then they were three and a up <laughs> within like sixty minutes or something. So yeah, that in that game, McCabe had to go into centre back, and you wouldn't think he's been much centre back because he's not the biggest of players, but he seems to have settled in there pretty well, and he's kind of now, you know building up a kind of almost decent partnership there because I've had their injury problems but it's not been that much of an issue uh, because these guys have managed to to fill in and that was something Murray said as well is that he feels like the squad's kind of really come together this campaign um, after the kind of slow start because of the problems they've had and they've kind of had to dig deep and you know that, that game at Peterhead where everybody just had to kind of play a position that was given to them and do it to the best of their ability and that kind of fostered a pretty good team spirit you can almost imagine that because you can imagine like coming back for that kind of game and like everybody just kind of having a, a joke about it, like you can imagine everybody would be slagging Reese McCabe off, like before they give you a place on off a day, and then afterwards, like, ah, I fucking tell you, <laughs> all the beers are getting opened. <laughs> well, uh, COVID times, so maybe not bad, enough, but you can imagine it. But they, they could open beers, just going to pass them to one another. That's true. Can't share them. I, I, I tell you what, why I would you ever share a beer with somebody? 
But you, no, but you wouldn't be able to pass them. No, I know, but I'm just, I, I, I said shit, and then I just kind of laughed at my own idiocy there. But, okay, cool. Uh, I think, in terms of Ian Murray's uh, tenure, Airdrie have always been, Airdrie have always been okay in League One, but it's always felt like they've been a player or two short. Uh, I thought last year they they looked pretty good when they like after like towards the tail end of the season they brought in uh, Kyle Turner. I mean Kyle Turner uh, really lifted that team up, and yes, they got to the final of the playoffs, and I, I I thought they had a chance against Morton. And bear in mind, it was a, a pretty bang average Morton team, and they never laid a glove on them. Aye, never laid a glove on them at all. To be fair, Robin Muirhead decided to play like his profile for two games. But maybe that's a sad indictment on Airdrie. It might be, to be fair, it might be. And and I I, I didn't necessarily fancy Airdrie this season. I, I thought there would be, I thought there were three teams that could win League One. I thought uh, Falkirk, <laughs> uh, Queen's Park, and maybe Cove Rangers. And then you've got, beyond that, you've got Montrose and Airdrie that would probably be like, right, well, they'll, they'll pull, there's your top five, for example. And even even at the start of the season, I didn't think Airdrie had a squad that would challenge. And at the start of the season, as you mentioned, they didn't do particularly well. However, the the players that they've brought in, I think he's recruited very well. I think he recruited most well at, at the tail end of the, the transfer window. So I think I think Callum Smith was probably a coup. Like I was surprised when they brought in brought him in from for Hamilton because I think I mean I I didn't think he was a, a, a premiership. Uh, quality player, but I, th- I, th- I thought he could have troubled defences in the in the championship, mm-hmm. and I, I think he could have done a job for Hamilton. Whether it was some kind of fallout, I, I, I don't know. But he can hurt teams. Uh, Kern McEnroy has come in, as you've already mentioned, and he is a. He didn't do very well at Dunfermline last season, and, and again, I don't think he's going to go back to Celtic and, and trouble their first team. But he is a is a box to box midfielder which you don't see too many of he, he seems to love a, a shot at goal as much as he loves a, a tackle and I think him going into midfield has allowed Adam Frizzell to, to get forward a wee bit more and as you've already mentioned Dylan Easton so there's there's a handful of players who improve their squad immensely and can certainly damage other teams and you, you look at the game at the weekend so they, they beat Peterhead 3-1 and it was pretty much all those players that that caused the damage to, to Peterhead. So the first goal, the first goal was my favourite goal, not because it was the best goal, but because of the commentary for, for Diamonds TV. So Adam Frizzell won the ball off the Peterhead right back. Uh, I, I don't know who it was, but he kind of won possession back, gave it to Dylan Easton. Dylan Easton kind of cut inside, got in the penalty box, kind of wrong-footed Brett Long uh, and the Peterhead goals, who could have done better. But the commentator then said, great goal for Dylan Easton or whatever. Uh, have you ever seen Dylan Easton and Batman in the, in the same place at the same time? I know I haven't. I've no idea what that meant. <laughs> I've no idea what that meant. Like, D- Dylan ba- Easton wear a cape when he plays? Batman kicks fuck out of Penguin. <laughs> Dylan Easton's just got to go on Brett Long. I don't know what that means. Uh, but honestly, the second goal, the second goal was absolutely brilliant. There was a, a, a cross went into the kind of edge of the area. Dylan Easton kind of flicked it behind him. And the, the Peterhead defence stopped, but Brett, they thought Brett Long was coming to gather it, but actually uh, McEnroy uh, nipped in first and actually just flicked it over his head. It was a brilliant goal. And then the last goal, even the last goal was really good. Uh, it was uh, Callum Gallagher won a, a, a flick on and then Callum Smith just lobbed it over uh, Brett Long. Three brilliant goals, three totally different goals. And it shows you that there is... I, I think Airdrie have enough players within them now that they can... 
they have enough players now they, 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 there's different ways to skin a cat mm. and I think Airdrie now uh, know how to do I'm that saying that always makes me feel very uneasy <laughs> and, well aye because you're, you, you love cats but interestingly I suppose we, we can maybe use Falkirk as a as a barometer and I, and I know we, we probably shouldn't be in mind they're, they're low levels this season but see funny barometer See, Falkirk this season, they, they generally do have the upper hand in games and dominate possession and create chances, but but just don't take them. But when they played Airdrie a few weeks back, it was 3-0 Airdrie and it could have been 4 or 5. And when you look around the, the rest of the League One challengers, Queen's Park have have uh, have drawn a lot more games than have won this season. Falkirk don't seem to be doing very well. Cove Rangers can't put a run together. Airdrie are the only team in that league that can put a run together. And if that can continue, they'll be very difficult to knock off that, that perch at the top of the league. Good. Good. I'd quite like to see Airdrie come back up to the Championship. Feels like it's been a while. It's been right, it's certainly been a while. I think it was, it was 2013 that were last in the, the second tier. And that was, that was a brief stay because they were basically similar to Dundee that season. They were just you know, vaulted up a level above they were ready for due to the whole Rangers unpleasantness. <laughs> There's very few clubs in, in Scotland that have slipped backwards so much in the last 25 to 30 years as as Airdrie. I, I, I know Falkirk are also in League One at the moment, but... Clyde Bank would have something to say about that. Uh, no, no, very much so. So, so uh, Clyde Bank, uh, who I suppose Airdrie have, have become, is yes. that right? Yes, I, and, and Airdrie. But bear in mind, Airdrie were consistently, in the 90s at least, kind of getting to semi-finals, mm-hmm. getting to cup finals, uh, occasionally getting into the top tier. They, they were always a, a kind of bottom of the Premier League, top of the first division. And and, and like if you've if, if you've just been a, a, a kind of Scottish football fan in the last, I don't know, 15 years, you, you, you would just presume that Airdrie are just a, a kind of run-of-the-mill third-tier team. So we're going to move on now. Now, we've already done 40 minutes. Right, okay. So I was we we're gonna talk about Kelty. But we could leave that for another time. Because I don't think they're because what I was gonna ask you was not really about their kind of recent forms, more about what the Kelty need to do. Are they are they champions elect already and what do they need to do if that's the case to then improve for League One? Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure you're thinking that they probably are champions elect in I'd, the in I'd, the fourth tier. In the, yeah, fourth tier. I think they'll go and beat. Right, yeah, so they're going up. So we can park this conversation to another time when you can still keep your notes and it'll still be the same. Like, they'll still probably have the same holes to fill. And probably still be unbeaten. I probably still be unbeaten in two or three weeks' time. So let's just move for the, uh, to our next memorable Scotland game. We're yes. down to number 16 in our countdown. Do you know... Uh, no, sorry, apologies. You, you introduce it. You, you talk no, about what it is. <laughs> I, 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 was just, I was all excited for a second there. So well, you would have remembered it, I was assuming. So this is my this is my this is the first qualifying campaign that I can remember properly. Cool. This it was also the first Scotland game that Craig Anderson it was at, but he wasn't born yet. Uh, he was being gestated. That's a word that I don't actually know the meaning of. It, it, he's in the room, right? I, 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 I wasn't aware of that. Does the thing that counts? No, definitely doesn't. If you can't, like, if you, I don't know, if you're in the womb... You're definitely, no, you're definitely not allowed to say what was your first... Like, if you're seriously, like, I don't, I don't think Craig actually seriously answers <laughs> this, to be honest. But if you're being asked, seriously, what was your first ever football game? You're definitely not allowed, you're definitely not allowed to say one before you were technically even alive. I you can't see it. He's just standing outside. <laughs> 
suppose you had a like, I don't know, but uh, they, they don't want to get the whole argument on that. But, I suppose he, he was there. He, he was, wasn't born. He was he was present. He, kind of. Could he see it then? Well, kind of. He was he was definitely present. What do you mean he could see? No, I'm saying he... I said he could have seen it and he said he kind of, kind no, of was. No, sorry, I, I, I said he was present and you said kind of. Sorry, I, I didn't realise. He was definitely present. Okay, yeah, I suppose. Anyway, <laughs> so Scotland... <laughs> said the game here. So Scotland to France now from the 8th of March 1989. So the qualification campaign you're talking about is for the World Cup. 1990. Italia 90. Now, but before we get to all that, We'll do our usual rundowns. So, yes, the 8th of March, 1989. Number one in the UK chart was Belfast Child by Simple Minds. They're, uh, they're only number one. They were number one for one week. That is my uh, that is my Simple Minds uh, knowledge. That is interesting. That, that's quite interesting as well. Shows you how, just kind of a, how much a cruel mistress the kind of charts can be at times. Because you would not have thought, if you had to say, what was the what was the Simple Mind song that went to number one? You probably wouldn't say Belfast Child. Certainly wouldn't be the first one that would come to your mind. So funnily enough, I, I worked beside somebody who claims to be Simple Mind's biggest fan. And I asked him, I goes, what is their uh, only number one? And he got that wrong. Uh, and uh, I lost a lot of respect for him. <laughs> <laughs> number one in the US box office was a film that I hadn't heard of before, but actually seems quite good. So I might actually head up checking this one out. It's called Lean On Me. Have you heard of it? Uh, no. Morgan Freeman. I think it's like a social political kind of thing, um, but seems pretty good. Okay, no worries. No and I'll check that. Not on a Sunday though. On a Sunday, I uh, so I like to maybe watch, I don't know, a horror or a, or a sci-fi. So I won't won't watch it on a Sunday. Not on a Sunday. Okay, that's the weird detail, but okay. And number one at UK box office was Rain Man, which I've still not seen. You never seen Rain Man? No, uh, it's really good. Well, I'll, I think it was on Netflix a while ago, but it might have disappeared before the chance to watch it. Anyway, this was our fourth game of the group. Mm-hmm. Scotland got off to a tremendous start in this group. So the they no beat Norway two one. Yes, that was the first game. That that's not quite as tremendous. No, as but I mean overall. So for the first four games, including this one. Oh right, sorry. They picked up seven points. This was back when it was two points for yep. a win. So in today's terms, that would be ten points for the first four games. So I haven't checked, but let me try and remember. It beat Norway two one. <laughs> We're gonna have to remember this off the top of my head because I haven't written this down. But yes, uh, Norway two one. Then we. Um, oh no, I did write it. Right, Norway two one. Then we, I'm trying to remember what order we did it. And did we draw one all with Yugoslavia? Yes. Then we beat Cyprus three two. Yes. Well, last minute goal from Richard Goff. Oh, brilliant. Ninety six minute. And then, uh, then we had this game against France. Yes, this game against France, and it ended up being hugely important because after they then won the next game after this, beat Cyprus at Hamden. Yep. Two one. And then from the last three games, we picked up one point and finished ahead of France by just one point. With Yugoslavia winning the group in France, famously, despite having gone to the semi-finals in '82 and won the Euros in '84. I think I'm right in saying '84. So, so this was this they, was they a, didn't qualify for Italian night. They they also didn't qualify. So they'd so they won Euro '84. They didn't qualify for Euro '88. They finished behind. Let me get this right now. Finished behind. Soviet Union and East Germany in the qualifiers for Euro 88 uh, and they they only won one game they only won one game I think they only lost one game but they they, they pretty much drew all their games they had a goal that was like minus three this was like a, it was a French team that was in decline uh, they still had some players who had won Euro 84 
they were still waiting on that this kind of batch of players who would eventually come through that would make them great again. So they were they were kind of they were kind of between two stools, yeah. I suppose, when we played them. We we're probably a wee bit lucky. Well, I can say the French team now if you want. Well, well, why don't you? Joe Batts, Frank Sozzi, heard of him. Frank Silvestre, Patrick Battiston, Luke Sonor, Manuel Moros, Tierney Loray, Laurent Blanc, Jean-Philippe Duran, Jean-Pierre Papin, and Daniel, I would say, Yureb? I believe so, yes. And uh, Christian Perez came off the bench, and another player came off the bench, which I'm going to talk to later on. But let's talk about the game first. I should also mention the Scotland team. The Scotland team is Jim Layton, Richard Goff, Gary Gillespie, Alec McLeish, Morris Malpass, Steve Nicholl, Paul McStay, Roy Aitken, Ian Ferguson, the Rangers and Samirin one, Ali McCoyst and Morris Johnson. And Gordon Strachan and Brian McClure came off the bench for Scotland. There was two, there was two selection issues going into that game. Uh, I, I remember watching this game with my granddad and the, the the two selection issues were following enough the, the, the substitutes that, that, that came on so there was a decision to be made about who was going to play left wing so uh, we we generally played 4-4-2 but we didn't really have a left winger I suppose in those days Ian Ferguson had come on against Cyprus if I remember correctly and, and performed quite well he was very young at the time Played against, uh, played in this game, didn't do very much, and then, and then Gordon Strachan came on for him. And the big, I suppose, the big decision that, that we got right was the fact that uh, there was questions asked about whether McCoyst should start up front or Brian McClure. Uh, McCoyst uh, got the McCoyst got the spot, and he was exceptional that day. See McCoyst and Johnson up front. It was probably so for my money. In, in terms of in terms of watching Scotland in my lifetime, this might be arguably the best performance I've ever seen. I, I think the I, I think the three one game against Ukraine was very good at Hamden. In terms of us dominating a team, and I'm not saying we dominated France that day, but it was exceptional. Uh, and, and I thought in terms of when we beat uh, Ukraine three one was exceptional. And I know we've beaten France since then, but but both of them were. Quite fortunate. <laughs> it backs to the wall for pretty much all all of the game in both of them. But that, but this result wasn't fortunate. We were we deserved to win two 0 And I I think what was most surprising for me and it shows you how uh, memory can can play tricks on you. When I watched the highlights this morning, I was really looking forward to Mo Johnson's overhead kick. Mo Johnson didn't score an overhead <laughs> kick. Both these goals were absolutely shite. <laughs> <laughs> Mo Johnson scored, scored his overhead kick against Cyprus, uh, right. uh, which I think was the next game. We beat him 2-1 at Hamden, and it was a great goal. But I'd, I've been adamant, I've been absolutely adamant that he scored that against France. And I was, I, was I, I had it pictured in my head. And I'm, like, I'm watching the highlights, and I'm like, okay, that goal was rubbish. It must be the second goal that he scored his overhead kick. And then you see him scoring the second goal, and I'm like, well, that must be offside. Because <laughs> he scores an overhead kick. No, the goals are rubbish. Who cares? Who cares? It was, right, a, exactly. it was, it was a brilliant performance. But they all count. It, as you say, there was... Uh, so I think we beat Cyprus after this. And then we had three games left. And all we needed was a point. And by God, we got it. My goodness. I, eventually. Jeez, oh. <laughs> Jeez, oh. Although it was nearly a victory, I think. The, the last point they got. Because the last point they got was... Because they got gubbed away in France and gubbed away in Yugoslavia. We got gubbed away against 10-man France. And the point that they got was against Norway at Hamden, having beaten Norway away in the opening game 2-1. 
and they were winning for most of the game. So, so they, I, I they, think they gave up a. I think it was an injury time equaliser. So I think McCoy scored where he lobbed the keeper. I think the keeper came out to meet him and he, he dinked it over him. And then in the 89th minute, I can't remember the name, Jonsson, I think was the name of Norwegian, because I think every third Norwegian is called Jonsson. But he, like, <laughs> like, like, go and have a look on YouTube, he, he scored from about 45 yards. It's like, well, how is <laughs> Jim Layton, what, what on earth are you, what are you watching here that you've let, let this one in? And then it was, then it was panic stations because obviously he had like three or four, three or four minutes injury time to, to play out. But it was absolute panic stations. <laughs> after such a, an incredible start to the, I mean, I'm saying it's a incredible start. We we it took us until the 96 minute to beat Cyprus, mm. but that was a good laugh. But this this game against France was uh, as as a Scotland fan, it's as good as it gets. So there was two players. Have you done any research on players, or just going to be me giving a monologue for the next five minutes or something? I I have had a look at French players. All right, cool. Uh, okay, right. I'll start. Um, I just wanted to talk about about Ian Ferguson. Well, well, wait a minute. To see before we before we even get into this, where does where does Tony go to find out sex scandals? <laughs> like where? Did, like I think he just puts the, the legwork in and literally literally sits there and Google types in every player's name with like capital capital A N D. And then types in stuff like scandal, controversy. Like, like is, there a, is there a specific website that tells you football players sex scandals? Because like I've bloody been, should be. I've been through the entire French team and I couldn't find any any sex scandals whatsoever. That, that's what I spent my lunch. I was like, there must be something tasty here in some of these French players. There wasn't anything. Country of love. All I could find was like Joe Bats who chucked in the second goal. He uh, he recorded. Let me get right now. He 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 was. He, he was recovering from cancer and he uh, wrote a load of poetry and then rec- and, and then he put it to music and then released three or four singles. No. Ah. And that, I appreciate that's not a sex scandal, but I suppose it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. But, but is it as interesting as a sex scandal? No, no, Pro- it's not. Probably not. I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to, I was going to start with Ian Ferguson. I'm actually going to start with the player that I teased earlier on, which was Stephen Pye. He was the second substitute for France that day. Now, Stephen Pye, for those of you who maybe don't remember the, the 90s eh, or are Hearts fans, eh, might not be aware, played for Hearts. The last club he played for in his career was Hearts. And he was at one point... So he won the French Football of the Year. I think it was 87, 88. And he won it despite the fact he was playing for Sochaux in the second tier. And he was... Eh? Yep. French Player of the Year. And he was in the second division. Yep, they won the league that year to go up. But right. yeah, he won player of the year. And he was kind of seen as the golden boy of France at one point. Because he was even at, I think he was even at a show when Zidane was there at the same time. And like, so there was a stage where he was kind of looked upon as like the saver. He was going to be the next big player that were going to take them on. Him and him and Canton, I played together for a team that was quite successful. I think it maybe won the under 21 Euros or World Cup. And it was like, right, these two guys are going to kind of lead us into the promised land. They're, they're going to be the guys that... Basically, they're, they're going to be the guys that ultimately ended up not being them two, but ended up being, you know, the likes of Henri and Zidane and... Well, Henri did barely played in 98, but, you know, like that kind of team. But he went to... So yeah, so his career didn't quite work out. He had a he had a history of kind of issues. He had every... I think he had just about every vice going. He had problems with... Alcoholism that kind of which eventually cost him his life. He died at the age of fifty-two. He died um, four years ago, um, only fifty-two, and 
Yeah, so he had problems with alcohol. He was a gambler at one point. I think he used to take a lot of drugs at one point as well. Uh, he was able to kick them up, but could never really kick alcohol. And it was eventually, um, it was basically kind of related to alcohol because he had, he'd, I think he'd survived cancer. He'd survived a cancer operation to on his liver uh, where there was a tumour, but then kind of hemorrhaged and went in a coma and then never recovered from it. So quite a sad story overall, but a very, at one point in his career, a very, very talented guy who there was big hopes for. When he signed for Montpellier, Montpellier at that time had a new kind of ambitious owner and were spending a lot of money. And that was the two players who were like, right, we're going out and we're signing Pai and we're signing Cantona. Cantona only came on loan for Marseille. But it was basically like, instead of him coming off the bench for you guys, we'll play him every week. We're going to build a team around and we'll have him for the year. And Cantona was only up for it if Pai was going as well. And like I say, Bayern were interested in Pai, so then he decided to sign for Montpellier. But it didn't work out for the two of them there. He still had not a bad career, just didn't quite live up to what he, he should have could have happened. He still ended up playing for Bordeaux twice, Lyon and Porto. So Bordeaux it, twice as in two appearances? Or no. <laughs> two, two spells. spells. <laughs> two spells. That's, that, that's not that successful. <laughs> this isn't that good. But in Scotland, he kind of then became infamous because he was signed and he was a decent player. He didn't have a great goal-scoring record at Hearts, but he was a good kind of technical player and, and fitted into the team reasonably well. He had, he had a very kind of strong start. It was his third game. Hearts played Dundee in the League Cup semi-final and he got man of the match so he got his mountain bike and he <laughs> he scored in the game as well I think he scored the third and he, he was very good that day and played for Hearts for I think most of the rest of that season but he was banned he was the first ever Scottish League player to be banned following a random drugs test and it was it's a bit one of those ones it's could you hear about it and you just think ah Especially with his history of drugs, I always just kind of thought he was caught, caught like with cocaine. But it was, it was he'd taken a appetite suppressant that had amphetamine in it, so that was what he got banned for. So he was banned for six months. He still had a year left on his deal, but him and Hearts just agreed to rip up his contract, and then he never played for anybody ever again. He was only thirty-one at the time. He did go into management, coaching and management, um, five different clubs all in France over eight years. Well, none of them that successful, but. He did, after that, become involved in a cocaine trafficking case for which he received a suspended sentence. See, uh, see rather than take uh, an, an appetite... Uh, what, what was the term? Appetite suppressant. See, rather than take an appetite suppressant, just, just don't buy biscuits. He also wasn't fat at all, even at hearts. Like, at the end of his career, he, was the, he didn't look out of shape. Well, put it this way, even if, if he was out of shape, he was out of fitness. He wasn't out of... He wasn't fat. He wasn't fat at all. That's because he was taking an appetite. I suppose. Somebody with obviously a lot of issues. And, um, yeah, it, yeah, quite a sad story overall. So I thought I'd get to him first before I just wanted to talk about Ian Ferguson. Because Ian Ferguson had a very, very weird international career. Nine caps... In total, across the spell, so I think he first... Hang on, I need to have written this down. His international career must have been over a very... Like, nine caps over what is presumably a very prolonged period, I think. I know, I wrote this down I wrote this down specifically and then I've was l- his, l- lost my place. Was his final cap when he told the Tartan Army to... Now, did he flick the finger at them or no, tell no, them? No, he swore at them, he was caught in the microphone swearing at them. That was his final one, so yeah. So this, Monaco? So this game, the France game, is only his third appearance. The mm-hmm. Cyprus game, the game before, was only his second appearance. So like, that's quite big to be thrown in for those really kind of big games. Weirdly though, after this France game, he didn't play for Scotland again for four years. But is it that weird? That's quite weird to be involved in such a big win. 
And then Scotland, remember, like after this, Scotland, Scotland like struggled along for the next few games, and there was no point. Like Roxburgh was like, oh, like maybe you bring Ian Ferguson back at the team. That seemed to work well for those games. He, he was substituted in, in this game. He, he, he didn't do particularly well. I think Gordon Strachan came, came on for him, and I suppose, I suppose we had a pretty good midfield in, in those days. Ferguson was Ferguson was a, a, a good midfielder. But it was always, I, I think, at, at that point on the periphery of, of the Scotland team, even even as as well as he'd done. When he came back in for the four years later, so when he came back in, so he didn't play for four years after this game. I, I, I still think that's quite weird. Even if you don't play well, if you play in a successful Scotland team that's doing well in your group, you expect to get at least, you know, at least a couple of friendly games from the case of four years. Didn't play at all. Came back for a 3 0 victory over Malta in, I think, 1993. He was then a mainstay of the squad for the next 18 months. And then again, disappeared until the game you're talking about against Astoria. And it's, it was that rearranged game as well. And what was it he said? Okay, I didn't oh, see I, what I, he actually I, said. I was wondering if he No, he swore at the fans as they were coming off the pitch as the fans were giving them stick after drawing with Estonia and, in and Monaco. Was, and was that, also, was that also Duncan Ferguson's last game or have I just made that up? I don't know. I need, need to look into that. I have in my head that was Duncan Ferguson's last game as well, but I, in fairness, I have possibly made I haven't checked. We're going well over time, but I just want to kind of mention some of the other things he'd done in his career because when he moved to Rangers for £850,000, he was the most expensive player at the time to move between two Scottish clubs. He remains to this day St Mirren's most expensive ever fee received for a player, which, considering they've had Kenny McLean and John McGinn in the last decade, maybe isn't something to queue about. Uh, he was. Along with McCoyst and Richard Goff, the only player to play a role in all of Rangers' nine row seasons. Uh, and unlike those two, he remained for the first two Advocate years, so picked up another league title. And then after retiring, he moved over to Australia, uh, where he's been pretty much in management since. And he is currently the manager of, I wrote this down because it's quite a funny name, Sterling Macedonia, who are from Perth. There's a, there's a Macedonia in Glenrothes. So there must be... Well... Actually, I don't know if there is one. I don't know where the Macedonia comes from because there's a place called Stirling that's just outside Perth in Australia. But I don't know where the Stirling Macedonia. I don't know what the Macedonia. Maybe there's a lot of Macedonians in the area. I don't know. I yeah, uh, I a mix got, of Scots and Macedonians. I I also got the impression he was really staunch, Ian Ferguson. Yes, my dad used to always say, my dad used to always say he should be booked as soon as he walks on the park. Dad didn't really like him, but he was, thought he was about a dirty player. Ah, uh, was <laughs> But his, his life down under hasn't all been plain sailing because he was, although <laughs> I read this story, I think it was in the record, where he'd been the victim of a fraud scheme which left him potless, which, fair enough, that's a bad thing. Uh, but when he left Perth Glory, he was sacked by Perth Glory. Now, he took them to the A-League final where they were beaten. So he was he had reasonable success there. But he was sacked there after three years and then he was saying that he was forced to take a job cleaning beaches. Now, taking a job cleaning beaches in Scotland sounds horrendous. A job cleaning beaches in right. Western Australia sounds very right. like it's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not as if it's blowing a gale. He also scored two quite important goals in cup finals as well. Obviously scored the winning goal for St Mirren when they won the Scottish Cup in 1987, I believe it was. Yep. And then the following year scored in the cup final as Rangers defeated Aberdeen 3-2. That was a League Cup final. A decent career, isn't it? Very decent career. Congratulations, Ian Ferguson, a decent career and... You're moaning about that horrible job you had, which sounds perfectly pleasant to most of the planet. I'd love it. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to hear us talk more about Ian Ferguson's former club Rangers and their devastating loss that's occurred today, then we're going to do that on the Patreon. So that's patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast. That's going to be in the £2 tier, so make sure you sign up for that to hear us talk about Stephen Gerrard leaving Rangers. 
And that's the end for this show. Sean, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, good people. And I'm Craig Fowler saying for this weekend, I hope you enjoy your football, especially since there's two Scotland games coming up that we really could do with... Four Defli- points. Four points. Has to be four points. Has to be four points. Well, has to be four points. For the, for the seeding. Nah, if we're not seeded, we're fucked. Aye. So yeah. Let's, let's do it. Have it, bro. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.